stay with the coach. Day twenty radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. from Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Nutil. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be updating your brain with Pokemon news, taking a stroll down Join Avenue, and spotlighting one of the ancient fossil Pokemon. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotome what it wants. Well, Sam... We've had kind of an awesome week in Pokemon this week. Yeah, we have. Uh, starting off, I think the one thing that you and I both want to talk about is the Elite Four tournament. Indeed. It was so much fun. It was. We didn't have nearly as many participants as we usually do, but it was still pretty fun nonetheless. There were a lot of talented people there. Yeah, and our, our two new Elite Four members, Devin and Mac, did a very good job. They both had really solid teams set up. Mac was running a steel team, and Devin was running a fighting team. And uh, Mac went 4-1, and one, and Devin went 3-2, and two, so they both did very well. I was kind of surprised that Devin went 3-2, and two because fighting you don't normally consider to be all that strong of a type really but especially, you know, especially for a monotype team they make it they make a great addition to lots of teams but doing fighting monotype is usually pretty limiting mm-hmm. but yeah he went pretty he did it pretty well um he was talking about maybe doing another team next month and i encouraged him to uh to breed up some of his some pokemon that would be uh a little he got a lot of his Pokemon off the GTS, and, you know, I'm sure it was for breeding purposes and that sort of thing. And I was just like, you know what? It would be really awesome if you could breed up a bunch of those Pokemon, too. So then you could get some more of the egg moves in there that those Pokemon would not have. Definitely. Definitely. You actually got to face two of our opponents. We only had five participants in this particular tournament, and two of them made it to the champion stage. Yes, they did. They were Alex Severson and Jonathan Boyle, and both of those guys did pretty well. The fight against uh, Alex was a whole lot closer than the one against John, even though it still came down to, I think, 2-0 and in the very end in my favor. But the, uh, the Pokemon that really saved me in those tournaments was Melodic. Melodic was able to wall a lot of people very, very well. And I was a little intimidated by Alex's team because I had a Politoed on my team, and I noticed that he had a Floatzel, and it most likely had Swift Swim. 
and I could never bring the Politoed out, because if I did, it would spell pretty much instant doom for most of my team. So it was one of those one of those sort of things where I had to really plan that, that battle very carefully, but as soon as I managed to take down the Floatzel, I was able to bring out the Politoed, and then Scald and Toxic, and wait for the end to come. I think that battle took 41 turns to complete, so it was a very long match. Yeah, it really, it really was a long match. Yeah, it sort of boiled down to uh, stalling and me trying to undo the stall after he brought out a Stunfisk that is probably one of his favorite Pokemon to have. He uses it in almost every battle he's in. <laughs> and, you know, Gonna Hate is a is a bad opponent to fight. I mean, he is a, he is very tough to kill. So it is very very true. I had a, a couple of really good battles. The the one that I had against Alex went very poorly in my favor because I was running my electric team, and uh, running my electric team, I always run my Politoed and I opened with him. So. Mm-hmm. I opened with Politoed and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And then Floatzel came and just wrecked my day. <laughs> well, that Floatzel is a very, very powerful Pokemon by itself, too. And if you had Swift Swim in there, it's a it's a tough Pokemon to really counter. And, you know, it. I was... I knew that he would have some uh, Rain Dancers on his team, so I managed to take out his first Rain Dancer right away on turn one, because I just Draco Meteored with Hydreigon, and that ended that right there. I think it was his Luminion. And the other one managed to get off a Rain Dance, but I had brought in my Haxorus on it, and I had... I think I had a Dragon Dance under my belt, and then I proceeded to use X-Scissor on his Ludicolo, and that ended very poorly for the Ludicolo. Wow. Yeah, it's one of his very few weaknesses is Bug-type attacks, and Alex did not expect me to have a Bug-type attack on my Haxorus, so I just proceeded to devour it alive, and that was that. (laughs) Awesome. The only other thing I've really been up to this particular week is uh, starting my breeding for my new rock-type team. Kind of a radical departure from a flying-type team, isn't it? I know, I know. I just, I caught, I caught rock fever. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm the new Brock. <laughs> I am officially female Brock, and I am really, really excited about it. I don't, I don't know what happened. Like, I was, I was genuinely really excited about this whole flying team because flying Pokemon, like, flying is kind of a really awesome secondary type, so I had a ton of options available to me with the flying type, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be sweet. And then we started talking about rock-type teams, and I, I caught rock fever. <laughs> so now I have rock fever, and I'm, I'm starting my, my breeding projects for that, and uh, I'm actually going to be rebreeding my relicanth, Okay. So I will not I will not be using Athol, but I will be using Athol times 2.0. Yes, Athol times 20. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be pretty sweet. Uh, I'm also looking at breeding an Archaeops and an Armaldo and uh, a Tyranitar. Tyranitars are nice. 
Yep, I don't have one yet. I do not have a Sandstream Tyranitar. I've never built a sand team before, so this whole thing is, is very new to me, and I'm pretty darn excited about it. Well, if you want one, I also have a sans. Well, Sandstream is its normal ability, but I do have a Larvitar with Stealth Rock on it. If you would be interested in one of those, so I do believe I would be. Well, there you go. <laughs> Problem solved. So that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Well, I beat Black Two. <gasps> did you? Yes, I did. How exciting! It was a very. It was a very climactic battle at the end. I mean, the champion had a team that, you know, I I sort of knew what was coming because I had watched a video on YouTube about champions music, and of course I saw the Black 2 champion there because it was all the champions music. So I sort of knew what was coming, but I had brought in a full team of EV train uh EV trained Pokemon, and even though I had the massive stat advantage there, she still managed to take down, you know, three of my EV trained Pokemon, and that was surprising in and of itself because I've never had a, I've never had a champion do that well against me with EV trained Pokemon before. That's super intense. Yep, and I actually did a little research, and turns out that all of the champions' Pokemon have items on them. Uh-huh, well that's interesting. So, you know, one of her Pokemon was able to hit me extraordinarily hard, and I was just like, whoa, why are you hitting me so terribly, terribly hard? And that's because those Pokemon were holding items, and, you know... They were like powerful items, like life orb quality items. So I was thinking, well, that makes a lot of sense now. Oh my. Indeed. So. <laughs> but you did get something pretty awesome for beating Black 2. Yes, I did get the challenge key, and I'm going to use that to unlock challenge mode on White 2, and I will proceed to play through White 2 on challenge mode. You will also proceed to give me the challenge key for my black two. Yes, I will. Yes. And once that is done, yeah, <laughs> I remember that conversation that we had about the keys. You were just, I was just like, so I'm going to get the challenge key and unlock it on white two. And you're like, would you like my key from my version? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because at the time I didn't realize that beating white two gives you the easy mode key. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, you, you've beaten this whole game on this mode. Would you like to try it again, but easier? <laughs> no, turns out I wouldn't. And challenge mode is going to be really fun. I talked to a couple of people who have done it, and from what they've told me, they said that the Pokemon are are anywhere up to five levels higher. You've got the AI being much smarter, and you've got the Pokemon with much better um, much better ability to counter your teams. Like, one person in particular had a triple heal, um, oh, what's that Pokemon that was the starting point of Walrein? Seal. Yep. Spiel. Spiel, that's what it was. Anyway, he had a Spiel, or something along that evolutionary line that could triple heal. And he got it out there, and he was triple healing, and then it used, then the opponent used heal block. 
Oh no. And that shut him down, and he very he very nearly lost a number of the gym battles, and he was using a Pokemon team that he had bred and EV trained. So there, so you know, when you get up there at those low levels on challenge mode, it's genuinely a challenge even for EV trained Pokemon. That's really cool. Oh yeah. Hey, that's Pokemon chatter. Pretty much, yeah. I think that's about it. Sweet. Well, let us head over to a substantially less rewarding news desk. Well, this is a kind of sad and lacking news desk. We only have two things to talk about. The first of which is that suggestions for this month's double team segment are open. This week, you can send your suggestion picks to the underground mailbag at gmail.com, submit them over the D20 Radio Network forums, or send them in a tweet to me at Hot Pink Joystick or Sam at Alexiel Solaren on Twitter. The other thing that we have, and it's a fairly important one, is that the Boundaries Cross TCG set, the newest one for black and white, is going to be releasing in the States on November 8th, 2012. And it's going to be including several of, but not all of the cards from the Japanese Free Shock and Iceburn sets. And I don't think I'm going to pre-order that or get that set right away. No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm still sort of trying to play catch up here on this 2013 season. It, it seems a little soon to me. Yeah, and, you know, I've already got plans for three different decks. I should probably sync... <laughs> the $100 that I might invest in pre-ordering a box of Boundaries Crossed for those decks as opposed to, you know, buying a bunch of whole new cards that I probably won't use. Right. So, yeah, uh, those those cards are coming. And, you know, for people that are have been looking forward to some of the specific cards from the Free Shock and Iceburn sets, they're on their way. Uh, you will be able to purchase them on November 8th, so... Before the next episode for us goes live, even. Yep. <laughs> and hey, that's news. That's news. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's go talk about something exciting in the main topic. This is one that Natil and I have actually been thinking about for a while, and we wanted to really talk about one of the more interesting features that have come up in Black and White 2, and that is Join Avenue. And Join Avenue is this area that's sort of like spot passing without the need for 3DS systems in a Pokemon game. and. You know, it's very interactive, it's very interesting, but, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if it's just that our league is special that way, but a lot of people at our league in particular really haven't explored all that much in terms of Joint Avenue, and we wanted to 
really cover this because we thought it was very interesting. It is really super interesting. And to be honest, I hadn't done like anything with Joint Avenue until we started uh, really researching for this show. I mean, I've, I've got some stores and stuff, but I, ha- I haven't done very much with them. And I, I am really excited to get in on that now because the, the first, like the main thing about this whole Joint Avenue thing is the shopping. And you have the ability to buy some crazy, crazy stuff, uh, which we'll explore in more detail here in a minute. But before you can go shopping, you have to attain recruits for your shops. Yes, you do. And what you do to get recruits in it is it works sort of like the uh, street pass function for the Find Me Plaza in 3DS games, and where you pass by people with active systems of black and white or black two and white two, and they start to move up and down your join avenue, and you catch up to those guys and you talk to them. And you can either recommend them to go see stores that you might already have, or you can invite them to set up shop themselves. Yeah, and the, the awesome thing is that every uh, single every single person that you pass by has the ability to set up a shop. So you, you can have up to eight different stores, so you have to really choose your stores wisely. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and then, you know, the depending on who you're getting, there, there's there's some variance in uh, the way that these people will set up shops, and it's sort of got a random element to it. It's all about your player's ID number. And the type of version that you have. Uh, what you've got here is a setup where the type of store that will open, whether it's a dojo or a diner or a lottery corners, anything like that, is determined by your ID number, and that will never change. And the type of merchandise that your store will offer is also limited to what version they have. And you can have different merchandise among different dojos over black two, white two, black and white. And they all offer something slightly different between the two of them. You'll have, like, one store is able to offer you the special defense bonus plus, like, level eight, and the other store will be able to offer the special attack bonus level 16, and, you know, it's just... Very, very random. They variated it a lot, so you really have to you really have to strategize to figure out which kind of stores you want and to find which kind of merchandise that you need. So there are several different types of stores available to you, and the the different types of stores that you can get are a beauty salon, which sells items that raise the happiness of Pokemon. A cafe, which sells food that increase a Pokemon's stats or level. A dojo, which increases the stats or level of a Pokemon by training them. A florist, which sells various types of berries. A raffle shop, which provides the chance to win items, even master balls. A market, which sells various sets of items like potions and moo milk. A nursery that sells items that age in, aid in the hatching of eggs. And an antique shop that sells a random selection of items, including evolutionary stones. Now, when you have your avenue by itself, 
every time that you recommend people to go see your stores, they will give it a certain love, a certain amount of points based on how much they enjoy the store. And those points that they get not only contribute to the overall, you know, popularity of this of the individual store, but also to the join avenue. And by recommending these stores to your Street Pass players, as you know, you've probably guessed by now, your overall avenue score goes up and more options become available. You know, you can't get your nursery stores, for example, until your join avenue has reached at least level 15. True story. And then when you hit level 20, there's actually a parade feature that is activated. And, you know, I guess the last, you know, the other levels, 21 to 100, I guess those are okay. You know, you get a Stardust with every new level up and a Rare Candy every 10 levels. It's, I don't know, I guess for me that's not really much of an incentive to keep leveling up those places. But, I mean, if, you know, if you can keep doing it while you're leveling up your overall stores to try and increase their merchandise, I suppose that's worth it. Yeah, the, the big thing is making sure that you get up to level 15 because those nurseries are super, super important. Yes, they are. So leveling up your stores, as Sam mentioned, is something different than leveling up your avenue. Uh, leveling up your stores happens when you recommend stores to the passerby that sort of filter through your join avenue. And the type of store that you want to recommend is determined by the wishes of the recommendee. So you always have to make sure that you're reading the text that they're, you know, you're, you're reading what they're saying to you so that you know which type of store they want to visit. And there's a lot of dialogue for this particular option as well. I mean, there are things ranging from, I want to go to a store that has a female clerk, to I'd like to go somewhere that my Pokemon can get a good meal, or I think one of them was, I want to go to the place. You know, that, <laughs> that place. place. I hate <laughs> The first time I got that one, I was like, I don't know, uh, Raffle Shop? <laughs> turns, out, yeah. ra- turns out Raffle is the correct choice. It, yeah, I had to f- try three different times to figure that one out, and then I realized that the answers were all in the collector's edition of the strategy guide that I bought, so I felt like, well, okay then. <laughs> of course the answers are in the strategy guide, silly Nateel. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. Uh, you've actually experienced something that I haven't yet, and that is sometimes when you're recommending things to people, you can start a chain. Yes. And that's happened to me a couple of times when I would recommend people to Natil's shop. What the, what happens is they'll, you know, I'll recommend them to that store. They'll give, you know, a bonus probably close to like the 150, 200 range. And then Natil in the game will turn around and recommend them to their, to the neighbor, which is the person across the street. And he'll move over there, which happens to be Scott's uh, diner he has. And, you know, they'll do some interaction and then he'll be like, oh, this is really awesome and give Scott a bunch of points. And then Scott will turn around and recommend him to his neighbor, who I think is Mitch's florist shop. And so you get this chain going where as long as you can keep that going, you can get a lot of bonuses for for your joint avenue and for your stores. And it, I think it's entirely random. I'm not entirely sure what the mechanic is behind that, but it's really awesome when it actually happens. That's so cool. 
there there are some differences between versions that we need to talk about, and it's not differences between versions in the way that Pokemon games normally operate. It's not like system-specific Pokemon or things like that that we're used to dealing with in Pokemon games. The differences that happen in Join Avenue are based on the version that the person running your shop is from. So if, like, for instance, my dojo in Sam's game is a white two character, and that impacts the types of uh, training that I'm offering in his game. And the, the really, really big differences that are happening mostly happen in the antique shop. Because the antique shop is offering a ton of different rare items, and those items are different depending on what game your shop owner is from. Uh, the, the antique stores actually carry several different types of items. They call them chunk items, stone items, rock items, and box items. The chunk items are the same in both versions, but the or in all of the versions, but stone, rock, and box items actually differ depending on where your shop owner came from. If your shop owner came from Black or Black 2, you can end up with the stone items, which would be the Waterstone, Thunderstone, Moonstone, Duskstone, Dawnstone, and the rock items, which would be Helix Fossil, Old Amber, Root Fossil, Armor Fossil, or a Rock Gem. Whereas if your shop owner came from White or White 2, the stone items that you have access to include the Leaf Stone, Fire Stone, Sun Stone, Shiny Stone, or Odd Keystone, and the rock items Dome Fossil, Claw Fossil, Skull Fossil, Cover Fossil, and Plume Fossil. If your shop owner came from Black, you can end up with the box items King's Rock, Deep Sea Scale, or Deep Sea Tooth. If your shop owner came from Black 2, your box items can include the Reaper Cloth, Magmarizer, or Protector. And similarly, if your shop owner came from White, you can end up with the items from the box item category, Metal Coat, Dragon Scale, or Upgrade. And finally, if that shop owner came from White 2, your box items can include the Prism Scale, the Electrizer, or the Dubious Disc. There are a number of benefits for developing the avenue, and besides the ones that we already spoke about, and you know, those are plenty, that's plenty of incentive right there. There are a couple of amazing services, like the chance to train at the dojo. And when you look at the dojo, you notice that a lot of the services there are incredibly expensive. You know, like simply raising your Pokemon two levels in the dojo costs something along the tune of 28,000 Poke Dollars. It's something ridiculously high. But you also could have the option for like doing the attack level 64 training, where it increases a Pokemon's attack EVs by 64, which is pretty impressive. It's insanely impressive. And then when you have access to the nurseries, there's something called the uh, Warming Level 5, and that is an item that you get six uses out of, and it decreases the amount of steps that eggs need to hatch by uh, the the 10,000... Is it 10,250? Yes. Yes, 10,250 steps. So it's, it's really expensive, but at the same time, it's extremely useful and speeds up the process of breeding and at the dojo EV training by a substantial margin. 
there are also things we've also mentioned, like chances for winning things like Master Balls. You can get certain medals for participating in Joint Avenue uh, activities. And it's something that's fun to do, really, besides just battling and training. Yeah, it is, it is neat because you do have the option to sort of personalize your, your avenue. Eventually, you can name your Joint Avenue if you level it up high enough. Uh, you know, you get to choose what your shop owners use as like greetings and what they do. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And it's neat to be able to see, especially if you go to a league event and you have a whole bunch of people that you know at league and you're kind of friends with them and you get those people to be the ones running your joint avenue. It's, it's neat. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that, that kind of covers up Join Avenue. It's a really neat new function. It's something that it takes some research to understand fully, but once you've got your head wrapped around how it works, it's an extremely useful tool for every single Pokemon trainer. If you have any other questions about specific things about Join Avenue, you can always ask Sam and I in an email to the underground mailbag at gmail.com and we will do our best to find the appropriate answer for you. Walk with us again as we take another trip down Victory Road. We've got two stories to share with you, one for Sam and one for me, and they both sort of revolve around this week's Elite Four Challenge. Indeed. And really the big thing was my championship battles. And to be perfectly honest, right away from the very start, I wasn't expecting anybody to actually get through it because... I had a fairly good idea that you and Scott were going to be able to take down most of them, and you did. I think you only lost once, and I think Scott maybe lost twice. Yep, he went three and two. Yes. So I was, you know, I've, I was fairly confident that you guys wouldn't be letting too many people through. Mac and Devin outperformed beyond my expectations. They so, did so well. Yes. So, you know, kudos to them. But, you know, after I noticed that John was entering, you know, I had a, I gave him about a 75% chance of actually getting to me. Alex was kind of interesting because I didn't expect him to really get as far as he did. But He was he like did. the dark horse. Yes, he was. So when... I so when I was battling those two, you know, it was interesting enough as it was, but you know, Alex's team was running Rain Dance, and that's not something you normally see in an OU environment. And, you know, he didn't have too many OU Pokemon to you know, that being said, but he was still able to compete head on against, you know, my very, very, very powerful dragon type Pokemon. And I think actually yeah, three out of my six Pokemon were actually pseudo-legendaries. So it was very refreshing to see his probably weird collection of OU and NU Pokemon be able to go up and hold their own against my OU pseudo-legendary Pokemon. So, you know, that was an amazing battle. And then I also had my fight against John, and with John I did a little better in terms of not just it sinking into stalling pretty much and i was able to keep it rather f fresh despite the fact that he pretty much knew what my team was from the last tournament we were in so 
you know, that, you know, it kind of worked a little bit both ways in our favor, but I was still able to pull off some really awesome combinations with, like, my Politoed in particular. Toxic, Protect, Encore, etc., etc. And, of course, that Politoed is just a jerk. <laughs> and I think, actually, I had the quote of the night that you put on your Twitter, right? Oh, that was so awesome. Yes, because uh, John had managed to get off a couple of the critical hits on me, and, you know, it was obviously to the massive detriment of my own team. I couldn't really recover with those two Pokemon from it. And then I brought in, I think it was Melodic, and I scalded and got a critical hit that took away probably... 80% of his HP with one scald, which was surprising. And then I scalded again, and I was just like, well, live by the crit and die by the crit, as they say. And Nitiel so was just like, what did you say? I need to write that down in Twitter. So it was it was pretty awesome because like at that point in time i had, i was sort of spacing out i was doing a lot of research on my uh rock team that i'm that i'm building and i just heard sam from the side of me go well you live by the crit you die by the crit as they say and i was like no one says that but you <laughs> so yeah i was that was pretty sweet <laughs> yeah my victory road story is also from this week's elite four challenge and it is actually the battle that i had against john uh, John has become a, a, a pretty big competitor for me. I, I I struggle to beat him a lot of times. And when we got into this fight, I was I was feeling a little bit nervous. I hadn't fought Alex yet, so I was I was on a good win streak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I got I got a little bit a little bit terrified because uh, he popped out and he had a uh, his golem out right away and running a electric team. Whenever I see a ground Pokemon, I get a little nervous. <laughs> Despite and the the crazy thing about this Elite Four challenge is that I was I was running it with a lot of Pokemon, a lot of my electric Pokemon that I don't normally use. I wasn't using Thor, my Electivire, and I was not using uh, Raikaho, one of my Jolteon. I was instead using Amaterasu, who is my secondary Jolteon, who actually runs uh, HP Dragon as opposed to HP Ice. And I was running um, my Electros, Leviathan. And I haven't touched either one of those Pokemon in so long. So I was I was running a very unusual team for me in this particular tournament. And as we were going through, I was just I was I was out predicting him. I was doing a lot of things really well. And I'm I think I'm finally starting to reach this next tier in the realm of competitive battling in which I am beginning to predict appropriately. And there was just there was this one moment in this game where he had his Ferrothorn out. And I had taken his Ferrothorn down just a bit, like not very much. And I still had Amaterasu in the background. And so I've got this stupid Ferrothorn sitting out there in the rain, and Ferrothorn in the rain is a jerk. It's true. Turns out it's extremely difficult to deal with. So I pop out uh I pop out Jolteon. And Jolteon takes a power whip to the face and takes it like a champ. And then, well, I, I, was, I was half expecting it to and half not expecting it to, because while Jolteon resists grass-type attacks, it's also fairly weak physically defensively. 
So Jolteon took this power up to the face like a champ, and then we got to, on the next turn, my Jolteon was holding an electric gem. So I got a stab-boosted thunder from a Jolteon on this uh, Ferrothorn, and it went down like a ton of bricks. <laughs> was that a critical hit? Yes. Nice. It was. It was so good. I was like, I was like, this is my one shot at this because my my Polytoad with uh, Focus Blast was already gone, and my Elica Sam with Focus Blast was already gone. So Ouch. I was like, I was like, this is the biggest, baddest attack that I have. <laughs> it is the only way that any of this is gonna work. And then I cr- and then I, it it critted, and it was the best. Nice. So I was like, yay. Well, if you have a Victory Road story that you would like to share with us, you should totally send them to us. You could leave them in a thread on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radionetwork.com backslash forums, or you could send them in an email to the underground mailbag at gmail.com. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 348, Armaldo. Armaldo is a dual rock and bug type Pokemon that is revived from the claw fossil. This prehistoric Pokemon is bipedal and amphibious. Its body is covered in thick, armored plates. It has a mostly blue body with yellow accents, a flat head with eyes extending out from the side of its skull. With large claws and a spiked tail, it is a formidable opponent for both prey and predator alike. Armaldo's claws have the power to punch through steel slabs. When bothered, it responds with powerful attacks to those pestering it. To calm itself, it eats. While the Pokemon is amphibious, it lives most of its life on land. Armaldo has had one major appearance in the anime, being featured in an episode called Where's Armaldo? Armaldo has appeared on only seven TCG cards, none of which are currently tournament legal. Despite being of the bug type, Armaldo is not in the bug egg group. Armaldo and its pre-evolutionary form are the only Pokemon that can have the ability Swift Swim and are also weak to the water type. While it shares some characteristics with the real-life Mantis Shrimp, seems to be more based on the Animalocaris, an extinct type of arthropod. With an impressive base attack and a solid set of base defenses, Armaldo makes a great addition to many teams. He has a large repertoire of strong attacks as well as the ability to provide a team with rapid spin support. For a full look at video game strategy involving Armaldo, check out Natil's post on the Pokedex Project at pokedexproject.wordpress.com. It is question of the week time, Poke fans, and as always, we are going to start off with some answer from last week's question, which was, what is the scariest Pokemon? 
Ben says Gyarados. I mean, he's an awesome Pokemon, but he's terrifying. I'd never want to actually be around a real one. Emily said Shedinja for its Pokedex entry. And Justin, Justin, you know, you are an amazing <laughs> person for this one. You just inspired me with a whole new version of Pokemon Terror. So I congratulate you on this one. Justin writes, Bennett, ever seen Child's Play or Chucky? Imagine that mass produced. Hey! I know, right? So <laughs> congratulations, Justin. That is probably one of the best answers from a question of the week I have ever heard. We're, we're having a much happier and more awesome uh, yes. question of the week this yes. week. In, in honor of the start of the Aspertia Gym season in all Pokemon leagues across the states, we are asking, what is your favorite normal-type Pokemon? Nadil, what's your favorite normal-type Pokemon? Eevee. That's not surprising. I, it's, I have an extreme amount of love for a lot of the Eeveelutions. I love Jolteon, I love Espeon, I love Umbreon and Vaporeon, and all of these Pokemon come from Eevee. And Eevee is super adorable and fluffy and looks a lot like my puppy. That's what I was about to say. He looks a lot like Antilles. He does. Eevee looks a lot like Antilles. My my dog is a, a Shetland sheepdog, and he's got uh, what what they call a uh, tri-pointed sable pattern. So like his body is dark brown, and he has this great big white mane fluff around his neck and chest and stuff, and he, he looks like an Eevee. Someday I'm going to dress up as a Pokemon trainer and stick giant paper ears on him and go around with my Eevee. Yeah, that sounds like you. <laughs> Don't even, because I already know who your favorite normal-type Pokemon is. I would certainly hope you would know what my favorite normal-type Pokemon is. And you know, it actually was a tough one. I bet because... it was, because I bet, I bet first you were thinking Persian. I was thinking Persian first, and my Persian is a jerk. He really is. My Persian is the epitome of a cat that is a jerk. <laughs> Your Persian is like Shango. Yes, my, 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 my angry like Kate. You're, yes, I should rename my Persian Shango. You just should. But I ultimately had to go with Togekiss, because Togekiss has helped me out of so many jams, and he has provided me with so much entertainment over the years that I have had him. So, you know, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, he just has a special place in my heart, and a special place in other people's heart that's full of terror and misery. So, <laughs> oh, it's true, it's true. So we want to know who your favorite normal-type Pokemon is. Do you have an, a, a strange affinity for Wigglytuff, or do you prefer the normal flying Staraptor? You should totally let us know by sending an email to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com, or you can respond in tweet form to me at Hot Pink Joystick or Sam at Alexiel Solarin. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. 
If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you could just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. Also, please join our discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. Please join us again next week when we'll be discussing the third Pokemon movie. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. podcast is protected under a creative commons non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only pokemon is a registered trademark of nintendo game freak four kids entertainment and wizards of the coast music used in the show comes courtesy of the oc remix album the missing note tracks these songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org all original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Nikhil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. 